This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good Thursday afternoon, all. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain's afternoon. This is News Talk, and it just so happens there is absolutely no shortage of uh, of it to gab about today. News, that is. So in just a few hours from now, the uh, Prime Minister will break bread, as we used to say, with uh, two of the three leaders of the European Union right here in St. John's during the uh, 19th EU-Canada Summit. So just for background or a bit of context, you know, the European Union has three main institutions. Canada, of course, we have the two. But uh, they have three main institutions, and each one has a separate president. So Charles Michel is the president of the European Council, and Ursula von der Leyen is president of the European Commission. They will both be here if they haven't already arrived, and um, they and their officials will hold meetings with uh, Trudeau, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and company here in the city. Third leader, by the way, of the EU um, is Roberta Metzola. She is president of the European Parliament which is uh, based in Brussels. But she is not here this time around. Uh, It's two of the three. And the summit itself is going to be pretty brief, less than 24 hours, during which they are, you know, expected to discuss just about everything from um, Ukraine to carbon pricing to the Middle East, really, and everything in between, as well as, uh, of course, the transatlantic trade, as they say, of so-called green hydrogen. You might recall it was only last August that the uh, German chancellor dropped in on Stephenville which was uh, primarily geared toward um, that emerging industry, that visit. So this is no small thing, and it's also no small thing that they're meeting, or summiting maybe, I should say, here in St. John's is not unintentional. You know, they don't hold these things in insignificant places. Case in point, you know, the last one was held in Brussels in 2021, a world capital, Um, and, of course, uh, the home of uh, the EU the base, basically, and Parliament, and now St. John's. So whether it's the hydrogen potential, uh, the remaining low-carbon oil reserves that the province so loudly screams out that, um, you know, if you got to use it, we've got the, uh, the cleanest, if you want to call it that. Uh, the rare minerals, of course, on the island and in Labrador, uh, thinking of batteries there now, and, you know, just the overall electrification and around wind energy. And so it's a coup, no question about that, to have them here and, uh, and their media and thus the spotlight on St. John's at a time when really there is uh, just no shortage of serious world issues to be discussed and dealt with. Um, So so many things in so little time. But enough for me on this. After the break, um, our good buddy Tim Powers will join me for a chat from up along on these and maybe even uh, touch on a few uh, questions, um, a couple of perceived snafus, if you will, by Conservative leader Pierre Polyev yesterday in the midst of what was happening on the border uh, there on the U.S. border side. Um, uh, So stay tuned for the chat with Tim. Of course, uh, we know now that border uh, crash, the accident involving a car there. I listened to an FBI source this morning who was uh, talking about uh, the intel that he had and the information, talking really specific stuff about the driver of the car being a 56-year-old man who apparently, they say, and this is a FBI source, who's been quoted wildly now, um, they were headed to a KISS concert, which was canceled. So they went to, he and his wife, so they went to um, and uh, to uh, the casino in Niagara Falls instead, um, and they were driving a, a $300,000 Bentley, so they weren't hired up. Um, concert was canceled, so they went to the casino, then they left, and at some point, uh, something caused this vehicle to speed 
at uh, over 100 kilometers an hour, I guess in states over 100 miles an hour. They said there's video you can see of it. It's been circulated pretty wildly now. Um, it's very fast because the car was very fast, and it's at the top of the screen, the best video I've seen, where it just goes airborne, and, of course, then there's a big fireball and explosion after the car crashes. Um, so, yeah, uh, those are the details from that. But apparently, um, you know, it was uh, quickly deemed terrorism by, um, you know, a, a couple of news outlets and uh, regurgitated in the House of Commons. But we'll get into that a little bit later when uh, Tim Powers joins us. And if you're an American, it's all about Turkey and football today, uh, it being Thanksgiving in the U.S., the fourth Thursday of of, uh, of November, traditionally being. But uh, and so much more to talk about um, that we can get into uh, after the break. We're coming right up to that now. But first up, uh, your friend of mine, right after the break, Tim Powers. Don't go away. Win your Christmas cash with a VOCM Cares for the Community 50-50 draw. Buy your tickets until December 16th at VOCM.com. Welcome back to the program. Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain. Just before we uh, get to uh, our first item with Tim, um, we have a report for two tractor trailers now on their side in the rec house area. So, um, and that, I'm just checking the weather, and sure enough, there are uh, big-time wind warnings out for that area. Shocker. Um, up to 120 kilometer an hour uh, southeasterly gusts are expected throughout this evening, so that may explain that. Uh, hopefully everyone's okay. Uh, the report is two tractor trailers now blown on their side in the rec house area, according to a caller to our VOCM newsroom. I want to thank Richard Duggan, um, who's got about 20 hats he's wearing today, uh, for passing that along. So um, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, any other reports, you know where we are, people. So um, 273-5211, 709-273-5211. If you want to weigh in on any of these topics we're talking about or give us an update on the weather and highway conditions, as that uh, caller so greatly did. Moving on, um, so uh, as I mentioned before the break, the VIPs are in town today for the 19th EU-Canada Summit, hosted by Prime Minister Trudeau. Those VIPs, of course, being two of the three presidents of the EU. They have three. And uh, here now to provide some context from the nation's capital. You may know him from other hit shows, such as the wildly popular VOCM Mornings, where he delivers the Ottawa Report with both grace and satire. He's the Managing Director of Abacus Data. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together. The one, the only, <laughs> my big Turk teammate from the St. Bonds House League, Mr. Tim Powers. Oh, Brian, <laughs> you know what? I wish we were both eight or nine again because oh. there's a big hockey tournament this weekend, and I needed a goalie, and I had to go outside our team to recruit one. I've got no. a great one. But unlike our day at the St. Bonds Forum, this hockey game is at you know TD Place where the Ottawa 67s play. The kids get put on the big screen. There's national uh, anthems. How come we never got that with Fluffy O'Brien? I mean, come on. Yeah. We were robbed, Brian. Yeah, we, we needed seats first. Uh, <laughs> all, all we had was uh, a wall. And uh, it's funny, Tim. I walked past the old forum, which is nicely, you know, yeah. it's been renovated, looked after over the years, especially now with St. Bonds, the private school. They're run by the Jesuits. But uh, I walked by it every day and as I'm walking up Mullock Street I can hear the pucks hitting the wall and hitting <laughs> and it brings me back buddy I'll tell you uh, whether or not I was uh, whether or not I was target practice or actually stopping anything remains to be seen I know I'm not allowed to call you Patrick Wall. You are Ken Dryden or Bernie Perron. Thank you. That? I'll How take either yeah, either though either of those before Wall. Absolutely. 
Tim, not sure how much can be discussed or accomplished in less than 24 hours by these leaders. Um, and while, you know, we know there's lots to discuss in trade and hydrogen and economies, I can't help feel that, you know, this, a lot of this time and the postures and positions on Ukraine, maybe more so the Middle East, but given the very sensitive time right now, fragile truce, you know, the pause coming, hostages could possibly be released tomorrow morning. How much of that is going to take up this uh, 24-hour summit? Well, I think the secret uh, answer to that is not so secret, and it lies in the second paragraph of yesterday's media advisory that went out from the EU about this. And it says, just to read it, leaders will underscore EU-Canada's shared commitment to democratic values, Mm -hmm. multilateralism, and the international rules base of order as the bedrock of their relationship. So there you go. And item number one on the agenda, Russia's war with the Ukraine, and number two is the Middle East. It's hard not for, uh, it's hard to imagine that those two won't be front and center, particularly from the EU's perspective, uh, Brian, given, you know, the, the member nations that it represents, uh, war is, is is on the borders of many of these nations. They're all concerned with Russia's aggression. They want to know that uh, Canada and NATO have their back, as has been stated oft about uh, the Ukraine circumstance. And then the Middle East, um, the, the, the conflict there, the war between Israel and Hamas, just while it's happening and bloody in the Gaza Strip, uh, it, it's reaching every corner of the world. Uh, certainly there are big diasporas in Europe and Canada of people of Palestinian ori- origin, people of, um, of the Jewish faith and people from Israel. It's uh, it, Those two will dominate. Trudeau, as you know, got himself in trouble a little bit mm-hmm. last week uh, when he spoke out uh, about the war, while he did condemn Hamas and note Israel had the right to defend herself, uh, he made that com- comment about Israel exercising maximum restraint, and that got a lot of uh, pushback from Israel and Jewish communities in Canada. Yeah, and you have to believe that there's a lot of, um, you know, passing notes and and interplay with with opinions on on how to approach this from a political standpoint, but also how to walk that line. You know, we know. Not all Palestinians are terrorists. We know not all Israelis are are, are bombing Gaza Strip. You know, um, these are extremists versus long-held beliefs versus land disputes that go back decades. This is not simple stuff. But, uh, you know, in the context of the massacre of October the 7th and then trying to walk that line between who's right and who's wrong and then keeping that traditional support, at least Western support for the Israel, you know, the United States and the strong support. We know Biden played a huge role in, in forcing Netanyahu's hand on the hostage deal who I'm sure, if given his devices, he never would have went there other than the fact, because it's the bigger picture, you know? So it just seems like this is a good time for them to really be able to have, you know, we always talk about pandemic, whether face-to-face is necessary. Gee, you know, why are our politicians spending all this money on traveling the world, uh, making climate change worse when they could, you know, just be doing this over Zoom or whatever? But really, on topics like this, I think they need to be in rooms together and they need to quietly talk about how quietly amongst themselves, just because until you make a decision, it shouldn't be public anyway. But uh, quietly talking about themselves, you know, strategies and how they do this. You know, this is this mm-hmm. is uncharted territory for a lot of people. It is, and that's why those face-to-face meetings, as you say, are so yeah. important. I mean, uh, although technology didn't exist in the, that exists today, video technology in the yeah. Second World War, I mean, remember uh, the role Newfoundland played, the Great Argentia Charter, mm-hmm. uh, where the, 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 the world, Churchill, you know, they came to Argentia, Roosevelt, uh, Churchill, 
uh, Stalin uh, and carved up the world uh, from from yeah. our harbors. Uh, and that's why these face-to-face meetings matter. It's it's good to see, you know, as a, a homer, uh, Newfoundland again playing um, a central role in, in hosting all of this. Uh, so, yeah, these meetings matter. Zoom is all performative and it doesn't get, uh, doesn't get you where you need to go. And right now we live in such, and I don't want to make people anxious, but I think we already are. We live in a precarious world. We're sometimes removed from it a little bit in Newfoundland and Labrador in terms of the global geo um, instability, but uh, we certainly feel the economic instability. So having the, the European president, a European Council president there, Michelle, and uh, Van der Leen, the president of the European Commission, is, is a good thing. Canada is also going to get asked, Brian, and this is one where Canada has struggled um, when asked by others to contribute to the EU's mission in Armenia, which mm-hmm. is also about common security and defense. There's also going to be some discussion um, around climate policy, uh, as is the case in Canada. It's not the top item at the moment, but the EU previously had given Canada some credit for uh, the work it's doing, uh, the Trudeau government in particular, on carbon pricing. Interesting. That's it. And if you're going to now where the recent struggles of the prime minister's (laughs) credibility started with the carve out, but that will be there. And hydrogen. Let's not forget hydrogen. So, um, the, the uh, a member of the EU, the German Chancellor, um, was in Newfoundland and Labrador, as you know, last year with the Prime Minister in August of 22, promoting hydrogen. There are some four projects, I think, if not five, that are potentially being considered in the province. It's hard not to imagine we don't hear something specific about one of those projects or broader industry over this weekend, uh, or these two days, rather, because the Europeans do want uh, steady and stable energy supply from uh, a good partner. You'll remember when the German uh, leader Schroeder was there uh, in, in August of last year, that was one of the things he talked about because they were and remain so dependent on Russia for its resources. This is an opportunity for Canada, and I think uh, Trudeau is going to try and look and capitalize on that as best he can. Yeah, and I just want to turn domestically for a second because, you know, you mentioned Trudeau and the knock he's taken for the car about, and, you know, rumors of that, you know, now might be falling apart and all this sort of thing. I, I, uh, yesterday in the House of Commons, um, I'm not so, so sure if Conservative leader Pierre Polyev didn't give Trudeau a little bit of a break on this here now because yeah. after what happened yesterday and the comments he made regarding the Ukraine free trade issue and carbon pricing, it just seemed, you know, I caught a bit of the Canada's uh, former amb- ambassador to Ukraine last evening. He was interviewed by our friend and my former colleague of CBC, uh, David Cochran um, yeah. from The Pearl. Um, he all but said, the, U- the former ambassador to Ukraine for Canada, all but said that it was not true up here, Polyev was saying, playing politics. Uh, can't re- exact, uh, you know, recall the exact words he used, but certainly suggested Polyev was you know, fast and loose with the, with the subject matter here and trying to score political points on this carbon pricing, whereas it's already sort of been agreed to in this free trade agreement. It's not, not, not news to Ukraine. And I think he may have lost some credibility there, and not to mention on the border crash. I mean, he was calling it terrorism before, before. well, dare I say before Fox News, but I think some have suggested that maybe that could be his source. But another, in any event, using, ter- you know, the, mm-hmm. if you listen to his questions, the way he pursed them in the House of Commons, very much suggesting that this was terrorism, and you kind of wonder where his sources came from. But that's, you know, that's, on these big issues and sensitive issues, I'm not sure we want a leader whose knee-jerk reactions are, are has knee-jerk reactions that by, to very serious issues that come up. 
You agree? What's that? What's that old phrase? Look before you leap. Oh, yeah. um, and I think what often happens or has been happening with the Conservative Party, they've had such a run of good luck. Yeah, the momentum, uh, right? When, yeah. it, when compared to the Liberal Party, and a lot of that luck has been Polyev weaponizing carbon pricing and speaking to Canadians in the language about affordability and the burden, as he describes it, that carbon taxation, as he calls it, puts on them that he's gotten a response. So whenever he sees something with the the phrase carbon pricing in it, he leaps. And sometimes you shouldn't. I, I fully agree with you. I think that was very reckless yesterday in the debate around um, the ratification of the uh, Euro- trade agreement with the Ukraine, a trade agreement that was initially signed under Stephen Harper, because as the ambassador pointed out, and as others have argued, um, there is already a carbon pricing regime that exists in Europe. Second point, too, um, there was a global affairs official who went to committee, because they do when they're speaking about these treaties, and that global affairs, Canadian global affairs official, made the point at that time when asked by an MP about what the language around carbon pricing meant, he said it was aspirational, meaning, you know, it was they hoped the Europeans would get there. So right. there was a little bit of clarity, but perhaps when Polyev heard aspirational, he thought that could be turned into inspirational for his troops, his supporters. On on the border stuff, I mean, that was just really reckless. Um, I mean, the government got a little close themselves, too, uh, but it, it just shows you have to breathe. Uh, you know, you have to take the time. And, and in this era of instant politics, wait sometimes is as important as leaping. And uh, I don't know if it'll have material impacts, but you rightly asked the questions. A lot of other people have been asking the questions today about both those incidences. And Polyev will either learn from them or continue to make mistakes like that. And that will impact one thinks, you know, the lead he currently has, which is double digits over the liberals in the federal polls. Yeah. And you wonder if that momentum that he had or the traction that he was gaining, uh, you know, is a bit lost by it. Not just to, not to harp on it, but um, or Harper on it, but uh, you know that the term that he used there was one that just jumped right out. You know, holding true to holding a knife to the throats of the Ukrainians. You know, I, I can't think of a worse kind of metaphor or you know inflammatory language, especially given you know the sensitivity of this issue. It just yeah yeah you know again I, not to beat it to death, but it, you know no no no. But you know what? You're, you you make a good point. This is where modern politicians miss right. say, say the skills of somebody like George Baker or my old boss John Crosby, where you can make a serious point and do it with humor as opposed to always making it so aggressive that it sounds negative. Um, and both of those former politicians were good at making serious, making points using a little bit of humor. I mean, look, I don't think this is going to have a major impact on Polyev, but patterns of behavior like that could be of benefits. And yes, to, to your original comment, I think that's a benefit to Trudeau. And Lord knows they've had enough own goals on themselves uh, that they, they probably welcome this. They probably welcome a positive meeting coming out of the EU. And if they do have a big industrial announcement, I don't know if they will or they won't about hydrogen in Newfoundland and Labrador, um, they'll take that too. So all that to be determined. I guess the one thing we should touch on quickly on the meeting, because I know you're getting up sure. against the clock, seals. seals. Thank you. I had it last uh, the time. I... <laughs> ban the import of those uh, of seal products. Are they going to get anywhere on that? 
I, I can't imagine. Uh, look, uh, it's been 15 years. Uh, I don't think there's any champion of um, the SEAL industry, despite the lobbying being done by those still in that industry here in, in, in Ottawa. You rarely hear about it anymore. I don't think they're going to get anywhere. Maybe it will it will be informative and feel therapeutic for those in the sealing industry who are trying to earn a living, to be fair to them, mm-hmm. to talk, uh, to put on a demonstration while they're in Newfoundland and demonstrate that they have changed their, their, their practices and the veterinarians and others are recognizing those changes. But I can't see the EU moving on this. The EU, for years, even before the ban, as you know, um, were, were always uh, unimpressed, yeah. to be polite, with Canada's sealing industry. Now that they've had a ban for 15 years, I don't think there's any political imperative anywhere, be it here in Canada or the EU, for that to change. Sorry, people in the sealing yeah. industry, but I think that's the reality of it. Frustrating if you chose that. I bang your head against a brick wall. I remember hosting the broadcast the last 10 years, and it's always the same thing. Hard to get traction in the EU Parliament on that. Uh, Tim, you're right, right up against it. Hey, buddy, great chat. Thanks. Don't be a stranger. All right, you bring the hockey gear to Ottawa on Saturday, and we'll see if we can get you in, all right? Yeah, send me that one-way uh, WestJet flight, and uh, I'll see you. I'll see you overnight. All right, buddy. Bye. Thanks, Tim. Bye. Tim Bowers, uh, Abacus Data. Uh, thanks very much, Tim, for his insight and for Up Along. Always great to have that context and uh, uh, from Up Along in Ottawa. Uh, just a little past news time. Let's go to Noah Shepard in the news. I'm Brian Callahan on News Talk. We'll be back after the break. Dial a carol in support of the VOCM Cares Foundation Sunday, November 26th, starting at 1 p.m. Your VOCM. And welcome back to the program. Thank you, Noah. Um, So today, the provincial government officially marked the beginning of 16 days of activism. And of course, this is better known as the Purple Ribbon Campaign. Um, Normally, I would get into some of the detail of this, but I am graced with the presence of somehow he's found time to do this. Richard Duggan is in studio. Richard, how are you? Good afternoon, Brian. This is, uh, I've covered this event over the years. Uh, sadly, it has to continue, and it, ha- it does happen, and uh, because of gender-based violence in the province and the horrific uh, outcomes that we see uh, too often. Mm-hmm. Um, just tell me a little bit about that today. That was uh, obviously a very emotional event, and... Uh, a lot of um, people there who have gone through some very difficult times. Yes, absolutely. It was a very difficult um, uh, event to listen to, and especially what 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 would strike me about this. And uh, you know, we heard some of the the very real stories from family members who are still uh, struggling with the effects of gender based violence. Um, and you know, as, as I was listening to the speeches, I'd look in the crowd and I'd see see someone reach in, they grab out a tissue and they dab their eyes, and uh, even up at the podium, the people who were speaking speaking their voices were cracking and, and especially what which what strikes me when I cover an event like this like for example we had Debbie Hibbs uh, the mom yeah. of Julianne Hibbs and um, that was in CBS um, she mm-hmm. was killed by her ex-boyfriend in CBS in 2013 yes yes she and and her uh, fiance Vince oh. Dillon who yeah. was a close friend of mine who I went to school with mm-hmm. so yeah so her mother was up and speaking and even when she was recounting you know the good times and talking about the thing you know talking about uh, some memories of Julianne as, as a baby and all this stuff and even as she's smiling she's holding back tears and you can hear that in her voice and um, I think that just you know it, it really speaks to how that pain never really goes away and it's it, it's even there I mean this the, you know, the death of Julianne and her and her fiance that was 10 years ago now um, 
a decade last month, I believe. And so, you know, th- that pain's still very real. And we heard that um, with uh, Courtney Lakes and uh, Glenda Power, who got up and spoke as well. The same exact thing, you know, was trying to focus on some of the good memories of Courtney as well. Um, but even still, you can tell holding back the tears and you can hear the voice crack when, when she's speaking about her and just absolutely heart-wrenching to, to sit and listen to. Yeah, um, you know, I'm almost speechless. Like, again, when you have a personal relationship relation to this, uh, it's a little more like, I mean, I was working that day as a reporter when that happened um, in CBS involving Julianne Hibbs and Vince Dillon. And, uh, you know, it takes a toll on all of us, too, uh, you know, to cover these for but especially and then when it's a personal touch, too. So I don't know how they get through these events. I know it's important. Um, you know, obviously, you hope you never end up in this situation. We hope no, no one ever does. But I, I, I find it very hard sometimes to look at them and really, truly understand what they're going through and how yeah. they can get there, how yeah. they can walk to this event and be so public about it and talk about it publicly. And, and, and especially, too, for, for uh, Debbie Hibbs and the family of Courtney Lake, I mean— they're there at every event. If, yeah. if there's an event marking something to do with gender-based violence, they're the ones that are there. They're the ones that are front and center speaking out about this. And the, that's the one thing that I, I think when I go to these events is how do you have the strength to be mm. able to do that when you're you're in, in a constant state of mourning? That's never going to go away. And to be able to get out and speak with the media and to speak at a podium with <laughs> 50 to 100 people sat in front of you watching this it, it's got to be very difficult but the thing that uh, especially today was um uh, glenda power had mentioned how she had went out and she spoke at an event um last year and at that event um after she was finished speaking uh, um, an rcmp officer came up to her and he told a story about how um a man had come into his police detachment a few years earlier and confessed to him to the murder of a woman that had happened like seven, eight years prior. And he said that the reason that he gave for why he decided to confess now was that uh, he kept seeing this woman's yeah. face everywhere and he kept seeing her picture everywhere and he just couldn't handle it anymore. And so that's what that RCMP officer told her and that don't give up because if you keep doing this, eventually – Hopefully someone will come forward with more information, and and I think that speaks to why they do this every year. And how they get the strength to do it, because if you see results like that, I mean, the whole goal is to end it, Mm -hmm. to not have this happen to anybody else. So, you know, if that can have one person that's affected, either changes their behavior or changes the possibility or potential or the risk. I guess that's an accomplishment. So if there's one mm-hmm. thing that's going to mo- motivate you, if, if you were in this position, that would probably be it. Mm-hmm. Richard Duggan, thanks again, buddy. I know you're busy today. Uh, I'll let you get back out of it. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, man. Richard Duggan, uh, again, uh, flat out here in the newsroom, but found time for this. And uh, well done, sir. Uh, it's a tough story to cover, and I look forward to the report in the morning. Uh, not in a happy way, but in an informative way for sure. Um, moving on, this Saturday marks the annual Holodomor uh, Memorial Day. That's, of course, of great time significance for the growing community of Ukrainians here. And to understand more about that significance, um, Linda's not here now, but earlier, and she uh, was gracious enough to leave me this chat that she had with the vice president of the local Ukrainian Cultural Society, Brian Sherwick. Well, hello, Brian Sherwick. So this weekend marks uh, Holodomor Memorial Day and uh, relatively new to many Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, although we have been talking about it in recent years. Tell us about the significance of this. 
Well, uh, countries around the world uh, <clears throat> have uh, set aside the uh, last Saturday of November as a Remembrance uh, Day for the victims of the Holodomor, which was a uh, man-made famine that happened in Ukraine during the 1930s. And so when the Soviet government was trying to uh, enforce uh, collectivization, meaning taking away people's individual farms and, and farming giant state farms, uh, one of the one of the tactics they used was to, uh, you know, create this man-made famine. Basically, they took all of the all of the agricultural products that were harvested and removed them from Ukraine. So, uh, so people had nothing to eat there, but they were feeding the rest of the world at the same time. And this is the 90th anniversary. What makes this so significant? Well, I mean, looking at today's news and seeing the, you know, more kind of aggression coming from Moscow towards Ukraine, it's just kind of a repetition of some of the some of the you know worst parts of, of history. Uh, you know, the parts where uh, parts of Ukraine where the worst fighting is happening right now in today's war is the same parts of the country that that suffered the worst in the 1930s under this man-made famine where you know there's it's the numbers are in not precise but between three and three and five million people died well some say maybe up till 10 million even but anyways millions of people died as a, as a result of this you know event that was really not necessary at all starved to death Absolutely. You know, and uh, I still have friends. I mean, I travel to Ukraine frequently and friends uh, whose parents or grandparents lived through that and have described to me like what life was like when that happened. You know, I remember one of my friend's parents telling me in their village, you could not hear the sound of birds because, uh, you know, there was nothing. People were eating, you know, birds, uh, small animals. Uh, He said his mother was cooking like porridge made from the barks of trees because there was literally nothing else for them to eat. How significant now is it that uh, the provincial government is officially recognizing this date? Well, it's an important thing. I mean, provincial governments across Canada have been doing this for years. And, uh, I mean, we haven't had a a significant uh, population of Ukrainians in Newfoundland until just very recently. And so it's, you know, it's uh, certainly uh, an important thing that our government has seen that, you know, it's important to the people that came to our province from Ukraine for for us to recognize that, you know, uh, I mean, many of those folks that arrived in the last couple of years because of the current war, you know, are, are here because of hardships that are put upon them by governments not of their own. And, uh, and you know, it's significant to recognize that that's happened in the past and, and we should really learn from the mistakes of the past or the, or the you know, the unfortunate incidents in the past. So when and where now is this um, memorial happening? Uh, We'll be having a memorial service at the Basilica of St. John. It will happen at 2 o'clock p.m. this Saturday, November the 25th. And so it will be a little uh, kind of memorial service and uh, kind of a candle lighting uh, ceremony. And the people can just come and, uh, you know, reflect on the you know we'll have a bit of information about what the inform about the you know the whole demoto was about but it's not going to be like a large information thing it's mostly for people to kind of pay their respect uh, you know and kind of think about you know the victims of the past and also the 
people that are suffering today as well. Everyone welcome? Everyone is welcome, absolutely. And uh, that service will take place. It'll be both some components in English, some in Ukrainian. But, uh, you know, it should be meaningful to anybody that that wishes to take part. And we certainly encourage anybody that's able to please come and uh, come and join and show solidarity with our neighbors from Ukraine. That is Brian Cherwick, uh, Vice President of the local Ukrainian Cultural Society and one heck of a musician, I might add. And, of course, speaking with um, regular host here of News Talk, Linda Swain. Uh, look at that, right at the break, Claudette. Uh, let's take that break. A couple of more uh, items to come. Um, keep you hanging. Uh, we'll be back after the break. Santa Calls returns December 4th to your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Moving right on to workers' compensation. Now that I got your attention, uh, workers' comp rates are increasing by 2.4% uh, due to rising claims costs, so says uh, workers' comp. Uh, Workplace NL says the average assessment rate paid by employers now will increase by that 2.4% to $1.73 for every $100 of assessable earnings. So I guess in that uh, in that world, that's the percentage. It's up by 2.4%. And that includes a temporary, they say, 21% discount. So Workplace NL says claim costs rose 22% between 2018 and 2022. Um, CEO Ann Martin, she elaborated on these numbers in an interview with uh, Linda. Well, hello, Ann Martin. Hello, Linda. How are you? Good, good. So Workplace NL uh, increasing rates. Tell us uh, what the increase is all about. Okay, well, the average assessment rate is going to go up by $0.04 cents to $1.73 per $100 of assessable payroll. And that includes a temporary discount of $0.21, cents, and it will be effective on January 1st, 2024. So why the increase? This rate increase is due to rising claim costs, primarily due to inflation. Uh, there have also been some benefit increases. We've seen some longer claim duration. But inflation is a big driver. It has impacted healthcare services, service providers, healthcare devices, wage loss benefits. I mean, everything that we, everything that we cover. And I see the duration of some of the claims uh, also uh, a factor here. It is a contributing factor. Um, we are focusing on two key areas in our 2023-2025 strategic plan. First of all, creating healthy and safe workplaces in order to prevent accidents. Of course, you know, now our, our lost time injury rate, it, it is at a low time, all-time low, but we must continue preventing accidents from happening in the first place. When an accident does happen, we want people to return and recover. So that's where the claim duration comes in. Back to our 2023-2025 strategic plan, we continue to work with workplace parties to prevent injuries and implement appropriate return-to-work programs, leading to safer workplaces with lower claims costs. I encourage any workplace to contact us for help or information. And, of course, we are looking internally at ourselves, at our process, processes to improve how we support workers and employers and minimize any delays. So some people may think that, uh, you know, workplace compensation um, is paid for by the employee, but it's not. It's play, paid for by the employer. How does that work? So the, the workers' compensation system provides benefits to injured workers. Um, the system is funded, though, as you say, entirely by assessments collected from employers um, and, and certainly some investment income from our injury fund. Over 82% of the funds 
that we collect cover claims cost, and 18% covers administration, prevention, and our legislative obligations. So what kind of an impact, then, is this going to have on employers? So each year, the rate is set to collect an amount to cover the expected cost of injuries that happen in that year, and that that amount has to cover the lifetime of the claim. So this year, we're coming up in 2024, Workplace NL will collect $4 million in additional revenue due to increased costs, um, and that will be that $4 million will be distributed across all industries in accordance with the assessment that they must pay. As I mentioned, I may have mentioned to you that some industries are going up and some are going down. Right. Some, uh, some will actually not be uh, impacted by an increase. Right. About two-thirds of employers will see their rate increase, and one-third will have a lower or a stable rate. And, you know, even, even years when the average assessment rate does not change, like last year, for instance, there was no change, but we did see 50% of employers um, with a rate increase and 50% uh, decreasing or staying the same. So it, it does depend on the accent experience of those, of those industries. That is the CEO of Ann Martin uh, elaborating on those numbers there, uh, work comps Workers' comp rates increasing by 2.4%. You heard the breakdown there, and my thanks to the lovely and talented Linda Swain. Now Linda's back in the chair again. I might be hosting the show, but she's doing all the interviews. Um, she spoke as well with Gander International Airport CEO of the Airport Authority, the CEO of the Airport Authority out in Gander, Reg Wright. Uh, the airport is creating a cold storage facility thanks to significant funding from the federal government. Um, so it's a major project that, uh, you know, of course, the airport hopes to expand operations beyond just the traditional passenger and cargo traffic. Here is Linda's chat with Reg on that. Well, good afternoon, Reg Wright. Good afternoon. So there was uh, um, an announcement from the federal government uh, indicating that uh, Gander International Airport was uh, getting a fairly substantive amount of money for this uh, cold storage facility. Where are you with that project now and how's it going? Well, right now, the, the most recent announcement, announcement of $2.3 million from the Atlantic Fisheries Fund concludes the $10 million in financing required for the facility. So. We got $4.6 million under the National Trade Quarters Fund. Uh, the airport authority itself is contributing $2.4 million, and then there's a half a million dollar investment from ACOA uh, to fund some of the market development component of it. So fun- financing now is all in place. Uh, in Early in the new year, we'll go to market for project management, and probably by the end of the first quarter, we'd like to have, go to market for design-build approach to the facility. Hopefully, given timelines for construction post-pandemic, they'll, they'll hold, but hopefully it'll be up and running within a couple of years. So what will this um, facility mean to overall operations at Gander International? Well, it's a, it's a magnificent opportunity to you know diversify what the airport does and to get in a, a new line of business that's uh, very, very you know relevant to central Newfoundland and to the province. So... The facility is going to have, you know, seawater storage tanks, blast freezers, cold chilled storage, and lots of capacity to build up uh, pallets of fresh or live seafood up to 125 tons, basically. So from, from our perspective, uh, it's certainly in a new business um, line that we don't, we aren't currently in, and I, we think has a fair amount of promise. So we, we've always at the airport tried to you know, have a lot of eggs in a lot of baskets and to diversify our portfolio. Um, so this is just another another great revenue stream. And I presume that this will address some of those issues about getting uh, fresh quality product to market in a timely way. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think if you look at where our fishery is right now, it, the, the game has really be, become about how do we extract the greatest value and return, uh, you know, from the limited biomass that we have. So, you know, establishing products in the fresh market that are premium and look, bar none, there, there is no, no better lobster in the world over than Newfoundland and Labrador lobster. Um, this is really where, where it needs to go. And I think things are starting to line in the marketplace right now for that. So what other partnerships uh, are necessary to keep this uh, going and viable? Yeah, I think I think one of the things I like about the project is that it has been partner-driven. So we were approached by some of the key players in the industry who want to see this happen. And so as we go ahead and design a facility and processes for this, it is very much led uh, by input from the people who are going to be the end users. So we like that. We like to be in lockstep with, with our partners in the seafood industry uh, and partners in the logistics and things like that. So I think that that's, uh, that's really served us well so far. And will it be located on the existing property? Or do you have uh, an area mapped out? Yeah, we do have an area that we'll, we'll look at. Of course, we'll defer some of these decisions to, to the, uh, the contractor once, that, once that's awarded, but uh, it will be on, on the existing airfield. There's a good location for it, lots of ramp access. Uh, it's likely to end up there, barring any, anything we've discovered to, to the contrary. I know this has been a tough uh, period for the airline industry and, and airports as well, but uh, it strikes me as we're talking that I, I hear, a, you know, a, an upbeat sound in your voice in, when you're talking about these kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we haven't, as you know, we, we haven't recovered as quickly as we'd like uh, from the pandemic, uh, especially around passenger traffic. It's been frustrating but not not wholly unexpected that all that said you know i'm pretty bullish on our prospects uh, for the future there's lots of good things happening time is going to cure some of it you know when i look back to (laughs) the depths of the pandemic they certainly can't be as bad as that so yeah if i sound positive it's because i am and i think it's it's precisely projects like this that are really going to steer us to be in a more resilient uh, airport in the future so what kind of timelines are you looking at now I'm thinking it's going to be two years, every bit of two years uh, by the time we, we issue the RFP. Uh, just my experience with construction, uh, especially with sophisticated building systems in the last couple of years, is that you know supply chains are still uh, clogging things up a little bit. So we'll, we will expect probably to take two whole years. Now, you know, the construction of the facility doesn't need to be in place for some of the activity and shipping to begin. So you could see that as early as the spring. That is the Chief Executive Officer of Gander International Airport Authority, Reg, right there, speaking with Linda Swain, of course. Um, they're moving forward with that, that project, um, expanding beyond you know, traditional passenger and cargo traffic into the cold storage business, thanks to you know, some uh, assistance from the feds. So uh, good news for Gander International. Um, that's a staple in itself, boys, oh boys. Um, that just about does it for today there, Claudette. Um, I do want to remind, we had a report earlier, um, more than anything, just be careful on the roads, people. Um, it's so much darker, so much earlier, and on the west coast, she's blowing a gale. What a shock down on the southwest, southwest coast around Wreck House. We had reports of two tractor trailers off, at least on their side. So, uh, you know, if you don't have to be on that highway... You know what to do. Anyway, that does it for me. Um, Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain on News Talk. You know the drill. Drive safely. Arrive alive. V-O-C-M cares.